the Flex Success Podcast, where we teach you how to be less shit. Covering all things science relating to nutrition, training, recovery, and more. Who knows, we might even sprinkle in a dick joke or two. (laughs) Hey everyone, we are here with three Flex Coaches today, Dean and I as always, and we have Flex Coach Tom, welcome. Thank you, thank you for having me. This is your third Flex podcast, I believe. Is that- yeah, I think so. Pretty yeah. exciting. One would think we like you. <laughs> and, uh, it seems to be doing all right. Yeah. Tom is a Sydney boy who uh, you finished your undergrad in Sydney, didn't you? And then you moved to UQ in Queensland to start medicine. Yes, yeah, I did that. Yeah, yeah. cool. The and UQ. The UQ. And uh, straight after your exams... We wanted to take you for a Christmas party, but Mr. Tom shot back down to Sydney because his family and girlfriend's there, I believe. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And no, I hadn't seen anyone for about 20 weeks because of lockdown. So it's good Damn. to see him. Good to be back. He wanted to uh, hang out with the cockroaches. Or cockroaches. <laughs> cockroaches. Uh, are you loving the 10-hour drive back and forth, Tom? Yeah, well, I've done it three or four times this year. Mm. Um, it's put some case on the car, but it's like... It's all right. I can't complain, really. It's a pretty nice one, all things considered. The drive of the car? <laughs> the car is a very standard mum car. It's right up my alley. <laughs> student car. Um, I love the drive in far northern New South Wales, like through, what, Mullumbimby-ish, Byrony. Yeah, you go, along, you go along the, is it the Murray River? What river do you go along for a while? What? Uh, through, like, near Grafton? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I'm not sure what river it is, but and it's there's, nice. there's a famous <laughs> crocodile pie on the way. Is there? Yeah. A crocodile pie. Have yeah. you tried crocodile before, Tom? Yeah, well, I've, I've had crocodile schnitzel, which isn't quite crocodile pie. Um, pretty good. I'd give so it Australian. <laughs> crocodile schnitzel. Anyways, the reason why we wanted to get you on today, Tom, is because you're awesome. But also because we are balls deep, well, I'm vagina deep, in the Better Bodies program. Can I say I'm balls deep? I don't have balls. They're not deep either. No, it's kind of halfway up the body. We are armpit deep in the Better Body program that we're putting together, releasing Gen 10. And Tom is taking, we split this um, program up into six different blocks. We start with nutrition, then we go to training, which is Tom's block. Then we go to hunger and cravings management, then there's mindset and motivation. Then there's habit change and body image support. And then there's your block, Dean, which is supplements and recovery. Mm-hmm. So Tom, we wanted to get you on today to talk about training block number two, which is training. In about one sentence, I would like for you to tell everyone exactly the exercise rep range that they need to do to get jacked. You got 10 seconds. Tell us the secret and go. Three sets of 20 dumbbell shrugs. <laughs> Damn, this is five seconds. Man. All right. Thanks for listening to the podcast, everyone. Get jacked. Bye. <laughs> Actually, maybe one of the worst exercises. Shrugs. Dumbbell shrug. Or well, the most poorly executed too, but without too much risk for injury. That's kind of the cool thing about it. Yeah, I think like you get a lot of people bouncing around and just sort of like shifting every which way. And pigeon heading as they do it. I, I really love the roll. Oh. Not, and I love the reverse roll. They go one <laughs> way up and then they yeah, go yeah. back the other way. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you call them the, the, well, the, the ear warmers. That's my Saturday night dance move. Mm. <laughs> uh, but in all seriousness, Tom, there's obviously a lot to say when it comes to training and there's no one goal. 
people have different goals and different training ages and different injuries. So there's really a lot to know. Um, we've only got, you know, two weeks per topic block because it's a 12-week program. How, how have you gone about giving everyone what they need to know in two weeks? Give us a, a rundown. Yeah, so I feel, I feel uniquely positioned to talk about this um, because I've done a couple of things with training. Um, like I sort of, I got into the gym through playing rugby, uh, got into powerlifting for a couple of years, uh, did an ultra marathon last year. And now I'm sort of running a training model where I get strong and fit. Well, at least try to, um, but I think experiencing things from a few different domains has allowed me to step a little bit away from training dogma and disregard the concept of there being like a magic trick or a magic set and rep scheme or protocol um, and instead have a bit more of like a bit more, maybe a bit more nihilistic what you want could say, but I now look at training as it's really just a way of imparting stimulus to achieve an outcome. And that's not necessarily that helpful on a advice basis. Like if I tell someone, Hey, just give yourself enough stimulus to do this. That's not necessarily helpful, but I think starting at that point and framing training as going, Hey, you like take what you want and then you ask yourself what would drive me towards that. And it allows you to find a much better path and also allows you to tolerate a bit more flexibility too. So you don't have to be quite as rigid or dogmatic. Mm. Mm. And how have you found that rigidity affects people? Like why are we wanting to move away from that? Well, I don't so much. I think the biggest problem with the rigidity is that it limits people's capacity to borrow from other like domains or schools of thought to solve problems. Um, like there's a lot of really rigid systems which have worked really well for a lot of people and have gotten a lot of people a lot better. Um, whether it's you talk about linear progression, whether you talk about like some of the classic like strength building programs, like a starting strength or something like that, or like a 531 those programs have done a really good job getting a lot of people stronger over a long period of time. Um, but if you need a thing which exists external to that program, they're not equipped to solve that problem. Mm. Um, so I would rather sort of like plagiarize itself in the word I'll use. I'd rather pick and choose and go, Hey, like this protocol drives this response this way. And I can take that element of it. Um, but I'm able to do that and engage with it without having to sort of drink the proverbial Kool-Aid. Um, <laughs> my client's drinking like a gallon of milk a day or anything like that. Yeah. So you're pulling the good parts out of various things and combining them together and leaving the bad behind as much as possible. Ideally, or, or at least applying them in an appropriate context. Um, because like, sure, like, like if you talk about like volume and intensity, say like it's obvious that high intensity work can drive results and it's obvious that higher volume approaches can also drive results. Um, and that's great, but it's understanding that you probably can't whack them both together to get twice the results. Um, <laughs> but instead of understanding their success sort of is dependent on conditions in the training paradigm. Mm. Mm. It's like almost like there's this disconnect between people recognizing that X program that they've been given by somebody wasn't given for the purpose of getting a like a result for everyone, but rather there was a specific result they were after with that specific program. If the person knows what they're doing when they're putting the program together. Yeah, <laughs> and putting yet that specificity is lost just in the in the, the the excitement of the result, like you said. 
Yeah. And I think a big part of that and like a massive part of the, the role of the coach, right, is that objective needs analysis. It's going like, what does this person actually need right now? Um, and what's the best developmentally for them? Yeah. And that's something that you're going to be helping people understand in the training block, sort of like doing their own needs analysis. What questions do they need to ask? And how do we answer those questions or solve the problems? Is that right? Yeah, definitely. So I think like really like the bottom line with like the, the reason that coaching is often so useful for a lot of people is because it allows that objectivity. Um, it's much easier to look at yourself. Like if you're someone who's, if you're a bodybuilder for the sake of an example, who just hates training arms and your arms are under muscled, you're probably not going to increase the amount of volume you're pushing through there. Whereas if you've got someone in a coaching capacity who can identify that, no emotional attachment and just go, hey, mate, start doing some more curls, um, it potentially improves your outcome. So, yeah, a real large part of that skill, if you're going to run your own program and coach yourself, is around developing insight and being good at stepping back, assessing it objectively, going, hey, what do I actually need here? And what are the things which can resolve that problem? Mm. And minimum effective dose as well, I imagine. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's like a people, people don't talk enough about how volume is actually something we accrue over time. Um, even if you're really like, if even if you're an enhanced bodybuilder who's running heaps of gear and training super hard, there's a fairly meaningful cap on how much muscle you can actually accrue in a period of time. Yeah. Naturally, like even if you're willing to push that bracket, um, so I think it makes more sense to go, okay, how do we make you better in three, four years time? Mm. Um, because if you can accrue that volume over that time, I guarantee you, you'll be better in four years time if you just improve marginally than if you just go nuts for six day weeks. Yeah. I want to pull on two threads here. The first one being for those that are only vaguely familiar with volume and volume accumulation, maybe we can, Tom, you can just kind of unpick what we mean by that. Um, and the next thread I wanted to pull on is just mentioning that this isn't a 12 week gym challenge that we're putting together because good luck growing almost any muscle at all in 12 weeks um, or even setting up, well, you can definitely set up some good habits, but how much leaner can you get in 12 weeks if you're still trying to balance living a life, you know, and you're not doing a comp prep and you're doing it sustainably. So yeah. Which, which is the whole difference here is that we're trying to create sustainable change. Well, that's our tagline for Better Bodies, mm. creating sustainable transformations. So this isn't a 12-week program where you're like, Tom's going to teach you how to put together the most wicked training program to get the best results in 12 weeks. It's like, no, in the training block that Tom's taking, he's going to help you understand how to fish so that you can eat for life. You know, how to adjust your training program over time. Is your volume right? Is the intensity right? You know, how do we train around all these different circumstances? Uh, and the same with the nutrition block and the habit change block and the mindset yeah. block. Um, so, yeah, let's let's move back to volume quickly, Tom, if you can just kind of define it and give a bit of background there. Okay. Um, oh, gee, a couple of ways to think about that. Um, the way I often talk about volume is as a sets of hard work per week perspective. Um, that's It's based on the effective reps model, which – I don't love with our condition. Like I think it's, it has its flaws, but I think it's biggest strength is that it's a really useful, simple heuristic. Um, I don't think that all sets are equal necessarily, particularly when you compare 
like say a single leg exercise where there's a large amount of coordination involved and a lot of thought. And you compare that to like a leg press or a leg extension where you can just work really hard. Um, but I think it's a nice way of framing what's our dose for want of a better word of training. Um, so like, and it's interesting because there's plenty of evidence that you can gain muscle, particularly if you're not super well trained, you can gain muscle with really low volumes on like a sets per week basis. Um, and I think the tendency, be- the tendency becomes people just push that because they see, oh, volume is muscle gain, like volume is hypertrophy. They just push the upper limit of how much volume they can do. Um, and if it tend- some is good, more is better. Exactly. But it also, it tends to ultimately like reduce the quality per set. And again, that's why like we don't, have, as much as we'd like to pretend so, not all sets are equal from a like muscle building perspective. It's just a heuristic we use to appraise our training. Mm. Um, yeah. So like, I think what can happen is people, people who are evidence-based quote unquote, look at the research and go, Oh, like this means like there's evidence suggesting that I can get like improved gains as my sets per week goes above 20. Hey man, let's like, let's do 28 sets per week of chest. Um, and what ends up happening is they might do like six or seven, like pretty like hard respectable sets. And then the rest of them just becomes sort of a generic movement. Um, and often I'll like, I'll look at a client's old programs and I'll see these like just absurd or on paper looks like the biggest, hardest workout ever. Like they'll do 10 exercises six days a week and each exercise has three or four sets, which they're saying RPA eight or nine. Um, and then when you sort of, when you look one layer deeper, they're not actually fulfilling that. Mm. So to go full circle, I think that's where having discussion about what's the minimum amount of training we need to get better is a far more productive one, uh, particularly because all of the research suggests returns are just real, like really rapidly diminish. So sure, there's, there's definitely a place for more advanced individuals to have high training volumes. Um, but if you're like beginner to intermediate, I'm in the opinion that you're probably better off having a slightly lower training volume. And I'm not talking like one to two sets a week. I'm talking like in like the eight to 12, maybe even as high as like 12 to 16 set range, which is still quite a bit of work per body part. Mm. Um, actually making those like deliberate sets where you work quite hard and you do get reasonably close to failure and you can sort of chase performance week on week. Mm. And just for reference, the effective rep model you're talking about is again, like how hard you would work relative to your proximity to failure. Yeah. So a part of that model is based on the idea that you have like fixed order recruitment amongst your muscle fibers. So it's how you can like pick up a glass of water or a water bottle, uh, which weighs way less. And you don't sort of like throw it up. Like if you were to curl like a 15 kilo dumbbell, um, so part of how that model works is it suggests that ultimately as you get closer to failure, it's only then that you recruit the entirety of the musculature or at least the fibers, which are capable of doing that work. Um, so the idea being you could probably do sets like there's evidence suggesting you can hypertrophy with between three to 30 reps per set. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if you could go even higher than 30 reps, um, why you'd want to, I think is a separate discussion. Because you want to be in pain for a long period of time, yeah. maybe. That's why you would go yeah. beyond 30. Yeah, well, yeah. and again, 
part of that's like a threshold to response, right? Like there's evidence in people in their seventies who've been sedentary for long periods of time that even just walking can hypertrophy their leg muscles. Mm. Um, but yeah, so like there's, there's well, one of the nice things about talking about training hypertrophy is you have so many options. You've got like, there are no compulsory exercises um, and that's a little bit scary for a lot of people. Like we spoke about before with sort of stepping away from dogma. Um, you have this evidence, which is sort of at least tipping us towards, Hey, as long as you're training hard enough and you're doing roughly an appropriate amount of work, it probably doesn't matter so much as we'd like to think. Um, and for a lot of people who grow up and again, like, like binary black and white rules are really comforting. Um, but once we reject those, it's easy to feel a little bit lost and a little bit like, Oh, I don't quite know what to do with that. Cause you don't have a starting point or like a scheme to work from. I think mm. this is where uh, flexible dieters go wrong as well. They think, oh, there's no rules. I can eat anything. And then they fill their macros with shit food. But, hey, my calories are under control. But things kind of fall apart quite quickly um, for them. So still, like, sticking with some sort of template. You know, it's not all isolation. Mm. This, the, the order in which you select things matter a little, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and, again, like, it's just because a thing doesn't explicitly drive the result. It doesn't mean it's not useful to consider it. Yeah. Um, like, sure. Like you can, you can probably get like a large amount of all the muscle gain you want out of just doing barbell movements. Right. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't think, Hey, like, would I be better off doing a little bit of machine work here because my back's not going to jacked up. My quality of life might be a little bit better. Um, so yeah, just cause like, just because you can, in the case of a flexible dieter, you can totally eat 1200 calories a day, lose a kilo of fat a week and do it just eating Mars bars and whey protein shakes. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's a good idea or a useful one. No. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Cause so, so like what I'm hearing is like kind of the general concept of dieting is that eat less to, to lose, eat more to gain. But that's it in its simplest form. And in training, if we're talking about trying to drive an adaptation, it's do more. But like, what does more mean on paper? And then the problem we have is a lot of people then to say, here's a program. So everyone's just following a framework that they don't understand. But it sounds like this is kind of be going, to, going to be set up in a way that people are going to kind of have the opportunity to understand the scheme, like you talked about. How to adjust to, it while they're on a holiday. Or, or to, to have their own needs analysis, or maybe using some diagnostic tools to determine like what is enough in the more realm. Um, and that's sort of like, I think where you're taking this is giving people the opportunity to have a little bit more control over how they implement their training. Because I mean, more is more. <laughs> so it's that easy. More isn't better, more is more. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so really you should take what you're doing right now, write it down, double it. <laughs> and you'll get at least double the gains. Wouldn't it be great if that's how it worked? It depends what gains we're talking about. Gains in pain, gains in definitely, definitely an egotistical notoriety, you know, like I did 150 sets this week. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the other thing, right? Like people build, people, people can build like this identity on like this Goggins-esque, I'm the hardest worker in the room, I train till I vomit. Um, and there was definitely a stage where I identified that when I was like a really dumb 17, 18 year old. Um, but I mean, there's still, there's still top tier people now putting up videos of their vomit though, Tom. Oh yeah. 
And like, to be fair, hilarious. Um, <laughs> but also like, maybe don't eat a box of cereal before you train. Well, and uh, that's the other like honest element to that. I look at like particularly with like thinking a bit more from nutrition background, like if you're having like a moderate sized meal an hour and a half, two hours before training, good luck being able to vomit. Like you might retch in the corner. Like I respect that, mm. um, but you probably shouldn't be fueled in a way which allows you to have a proper vomit in your session. But that's a separate discussion. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Look, it's not a good feeling training to that point, but you do feel like a bit of a hero. Yeah. yeah well, and I, I think it's people, people are looking, like people take different things out of training, right? And I think there are people who want to sort of justify their existence by saying I'm working as hard as possible. Um, when really that's like a bit of a coping mechanism for being a bit insecure about not necessarily being good enough or hard and like getting the results they want. I think you just uh, summarized the David Goggins book. <laughs> I haven't read it. I'm a bit of a conscientious objector um, on Goggins because I think the people who are going to resonate with that are already probably working hard. Yeah. So I have read the book and I had really big expectations because people blow so much smoke up that book's mm. ass. Do books have ass? But this one does. Mm. Um, and everyone, everyone was saying it's so amazing and blah, blah. Anyways, I read it and I didn't have that opinion at all. I did a book review on it a while ago. Um, if anyone's interested, I have a book review highlight saved on my Instagram. You can go ahead and read it. And I said that he doesn't seem to be dealing because he talks about um, – some emotional and physical abuse that he went through as a child. And then he was, you know, very overweight at a stage and he had multiple divorces and he seemed to have all these emotional wounds that he, have you ever uh, had, I don't know, like had a wax or something and you bite down on your finger, you're trying to like redirect the pain. Tom, you've never had a wax, mate. (laughs) I'm pretty hairless. As you can see, if the lighting's good, you'll see a little bit of my mouth. Yeah. Look, you look like the type of guy who would have smooth legs. Yeah, the whole book was centered around basically how much pain shifting pain. He he peed blood, he broke his foot and continued to finish a marathon, like all this stuff. And it was re- he really glorified pain for the sake of pain. And I know that some pain is necessary to reach peaks of success. Definitely discomfort is. But it's like the saying, no pain, no gain is just not true at all. Or the more pain, the more gain. Absolutely not true. And, um, yeah, it just seemed that he was trying to use the pain of training to mask his emotional pains that he wasn't and still doesn't seem to be dealing with. Yeah, um, well, I, hmm. yeah well, I think to, like to put, on my, to put on my mouse psychologist hat, um, <laughs> I, th- I think one of the – one of the things that like, like people talk about mindfulness, right. And like the ability to practice like being present now, one of the things that pain does for a lot of people is it's like almost externally enforced mindfulness. Like when you're doing like, particularly like Dean, I'm sure you like relate from like your soccer background when you're doing like an absolutely like messed up preseason running drill. And like, you are getting that point where you're about to vomit all that's present in that moment is like my legs are burning. I'm out of air. Like everything hurts. You can't Um, think of anything else. Yeah. And I think that's one of the, one of the potentially one of the ways that like aerobic sports particularly, but also like going to the gym 
good for people psychologically is because like it provides an outlet for people to be in that moment. Um, but what I think you often see like that, you see that misappropriated where people are just basically going, I want to feel all the pain and it just becomes this like positive feedback loop of like, I just need more and more and more escapism and, they get wrapped yeah. up in it. And if I'm not sore for days on end, I didn't train hard enough. But it was that. It was escapism and redirection. Like, yeah. I think that that book would um, appeal to somebody who has a similar background to him that hasn't dealt with emotions very well, that needs to feel pain in order to feel alive, like all that kind of stuff. But for yeah. someone who's very centred and very unemotional and objective, uh, even for me, I listened to it and just went, why? I kind of felt like he didn't have a lot of self-worth and he wanted to feel like he was doing something quite noteworthy. And instead of doing volunteer work or helping other people or something like that, he was, he found his self-worth in the pain. Like, mm. yeah. He did just to wrap this up because we don't want to spend the time spending on a goal. He did repeatedly uh, say though, please note that this is just how I've dealt with it. I'm not I'm not a psychologist, you know, I'm not the person to, um, yeah. to do this. So, but isn't, isn't that like the fitness industry come full circle, right? It's like a whole bunch of people who probably should just go to therapy, um, and stop using their individual experiences as like the gospel truth on how to manage those things mm. or their six pack abs to feel worthy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so Tom, to wrap up our discussion on training, because we have some very funny would you rather questions for you. Mm-hmm. Could you, if anyone's wondering like, oh, yeah, no, I'm interested in the training component of the, the Better Bodies program, what will they walk away with? Will they walk away with a training program that you've written for them? Well, like, what are some of the other topics we're going to be looking at? Yeah, so the way I've broken it up um, is the first week sort of like a theoretical, like conceptual understanding of like what is training what do I think about it? It's about like the bigger picture concepts of how you can think about your own training and what constraints you have and then how you can plan to build out your training program. Um, and then the second week is all about the applied side of things. So talking, so basically you'll come out of the first week and you'll understand what do I want? What do I need to do to get that? And then what are the things I'm personally willing to do to go there? Uh, so understanding that you don't need to train six times a week. If you're a professional and you have a family and you've got other stuff going on, you can train them three or four times and here's how you can make it work. Um, then that second week is all about then like the nitty gritty. Okay. Like you understand this framework, you sort of plan things out. This is how I'm going to apply them myself. And we have a couple of case studies too. Um, so talking about like training for powerlifters, training for like physique athletes, um, and then how to think about and how to integrate cardio or even talking about like set targets and things like that. So it's awesome. been a lot of fun. Um, it's been actually quite useful intellectually to like reflect on my biases and the things I'm doing and why. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to taking everyone through it. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's not just, uh, there'll be mainly video lessons, but it's not just video lessons. People will have the opportunity to, you know, in a community to ask questions. Um, maybe they're, they understand what you're saying, but they're just unsure. And you will, you'll be holding a, um, a live call if anybody doesn't have their questions answered in writing within, within the forum. So we can all get on there as a better bodies community and, and talk over any common problems that are occurring. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's I'm, just I'm looking, one training block. 
Oh, yeah, and I'm looking forward to seeing what the pickers like. I think we all have preconceived ideas about training too. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing what like the people doing the course bring to it, right? Because uh, we all have experiences and preconceived ideas of what like training should look like, um, and looking at how to apply those. That should be good. Yeah, awesome. I love it. Something we're sharing. Mm. Okay. Better bodies, clearly. Uh, well, anyways, maybe we should start off because we always finish with this and we always yeah. stuff it up at the end. If you have gotten value from this podcast, please rate us on iTunes. Take a screenshot, tag us in it, share it with your friends. Thumbs up on YouTube is apparently now the most important thing you can do. Is it? Please give us yeah. a thumbs up on YouTube. They got rid of the thumbs down. Oh, do they? Yeah. So what, you do nothing or a thumbs up? Yeah, it's a thumbs up basically just to sort of get people into it and then uh, that's, how you, that's how you get your feedback. And then comments, obviously, so... Comment as much as you possibly can and thumbs up. Um, now, something worth sharing, either I think I did the last one in the last podcast. So Tom Ordine, do you have a quote, a book, a meal, a tip, a life hack that you think is worth sharing with our audience? Gee, I even knew this one was coming and I completely dropped away. Um, <laughs> Dean. It's funny, he said I was, he was going to say I dropped the ball and I was going to say I'm handballing this to the guest today. <laughs> <laughs> Don't put all the pressure on Tom. Maybe you've got one. Um, something we're sharing, something to look out for. This is kind of a bit of self-serving, I guess, is STC Fit. Oh, yeah. Friends of ours from Melbourne, they're actually uh, creating a 1% program, they're calling it. 1% PT. 1% PT is the name of the program. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's going to be housing a whole bunch of, like, really smart individuals. (laughs) Me and Dean. Point to yourself, Dean. Uh, Plus a whole bunch of other people. Another friend of the podcast and of uh, Flex is uh, Will Crozier doing modules on uh, education for PTs that are already well-established but just want to essentially upskill to, to the next level. So To be the best PTs they can. So I'm taking the module on um, GenPop and Dean's taking the module on if you want to niche into comp prep. Contest prep, yeah. But they're also taking you through, I think, like tax and marketing and everything that you need to know. To Rehabilitation. Be... Yeah. There's a whole heap. I think there's even, yeah, some around psychology and eating as so well. So on our podcast, we tell people to buy other people's products. I love it. But mm. you know what? It's actually, as a PT, you should. Yeah. It's really worthwhile. So keep an eye out for that. I'm not sure when it's officially being released. I don't know. But yeah, STC Fit. Check them out. We'll put it in the show. STC Fit Learning, I believe, mm. is their Instagram handle. That's true. Um, Tom, did you have something we're sharing? If not, that'll do it. I did. It it came to me. Um, The past two weeks, so I'm not sure when you guys learned this podcast out, um, but the episodes of the Iron Culture podcast where they've spoken about what the fitness industry gets wrong about weight loss. I listened to that one. I loved it. Yeah, I had Gabriel Fanero um, and um, I'm Jerome who was on this week. Ben House and Gabby. Um, yeah, and then this week again they had. Um, let me quickly check before I embarrass myself. Tom, can you hear us? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it was just breaking up in between. Oh, okay. It was Ben House and Gabby Fondero. Yeah, but this week they had Spencer Nadolski for oh, a part sorry. two. Yeah, yeah, but that was really good, and for particularly helping people frame what we're actually trying to do as professionals, which is like probably ultimately make people's lives better. Um, really, really good discussion. Really interesting. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Um, one point that they made uh, in that podcast is that as fitness professionals, we have a responsibility to do better. Like people's well-being is 
I'm not going to say in our hands, but we have a heavy influence on the outcome of our clients' well-being. And we have a responsibility not just to be like, hey, here's your training program, here's your diet, throw them in the deep end, blame them when they sink. We, we have to do better. Yeah, I think people forget that they're not coming to you for a, even though they may claim they want a specific result, you need to recognize real quickly that the way in which you get them to that potential result is going to have the largest impact, well, more yeah. than the result itself. We have an obligation to do no harm. If a client comes to me and says, I want to lose 10 kilos, cool, here's what you need to do. Their whole life falls apart. You know, they develop an eating disorder. They put all the weight back on after. Um, I'm pretty sure they'll listen to this podcast and said, Tom said, do more. Tom said, get what you're doing and double it. He I did. That is he a actually quote. did say it's that. a direct that a quote. quote. It applies <laughs> to food as well. <laughs> get what you're eating and halve it. Double the deficit, double the, double the surplus. Maybe go from a double deficit to a double surplus and think about all the gains you'd get. <laughs> you want to get well, to that mythological six grams of protein per kilo? Wow. That's a lot of protein. Oh, that's, that's, you'd be eating 600 grams of protein a day. Fuck. Um, I'd give it a shake. But anyways, we, we very seriously uh, take our obligation. We very seriously take our obligation seriously. Yeah, yeah, that was poorly worded, um, which is why we've set the Better Bodies program up as creating sustainable transformations. We're not just trying to get you the best results you can in 12 weeks because it's likely not going to be sustainable. Hmm. Plus we're offering ongoing. Oh, yes, that's true. After the 12-week program is over, people can stay a part of the community um, with continued access to the video lessons and access to the coaches for a very reduced price, I believe 25% of the price. Yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, if you want to learn more about the Better Bodies program, from our link in bio, there's a button, or from our website, there's a link. Yeah, check it out. It's something worth sharing, for sure. It is. Would you rather, Tom? We've decided not to prepare for this. Would you rather? We Tom just have frozen. frozen. Is it? Uh, I'm back. There he is. He's back. Okay. Yeah. We have a card game today, so we're just going to pick one at random. You want to read it? All right, Tom. Would you rather be so afraid of heights that you can't go to the second floor of a building, or be so afraid of the sun that you can only leave the house on rainy days? That's depressing. <sighs> is is being afraid of heights with that, like, does that mean I have to avoid windows or does that mean I couldn't even go onto the second floor? You can't even go onto the second floor. So if you live in a two-story home and your bedrooms are upstairs, you're sleeping on the couch. You just wouldn't live in a two-story yeah, home. Yeah, well, my, my apartment's on the second story anyway. Um, you got to move. Yeah. I'm thinking, well, no, like, yeah. libraries, because libraries are more than one floor, like um, university auditoriums are kind of high. Yeah. Even so the gyms. What if the leg room's upstairs, Tom? I reckon I'm probably in a cop being terrified of the sun. Um, Only going outside. Well, albinos survive just fine. Yeah. Don't they? But also in that, because like particularly post-COVID, right, like we live in a world where that's actually comparatively more manageable. Um, and to be honest with you, that first lockdown in Sydney last year, I was like in my element, I was thriving. <laughs> um the, I'm probably a little bit more introverted than I previously given myself credit for. And um, the absence of distractions and the ability just to sit in my zone, like we have a, we have a gym in our garage. Um, we've got some cardio equipment at home. Be, like, I could just lock myself in and just, you know, do my thing. So I probably that. You had a, um, a lot of uni work to do at the time, didn't you? Yeah, and that was when I did the, the paper I recently got published. Um, yeah. The bulk of the work for that happened in that time, so it was fun. Which is why you call yourself a mouse psychologist, I believe. Yeah. Because, yes. And yeah. also something worth sharing. And you forgot it. Too bad. What? Could have shared his paper. 
Oh, yeah, share your paper. What's your paper called if people want to go ahead and read it? Oh, boy. I'm going to have to pull up the actual title. Um, <laughs> you know it's a scientific paper when you can't remember the title. Yeah, it's a slightly long one. Um, Something about anxiety and you depression. You mean you didn't make yeah. it into a sweet acronym? No, nice I should have. Matador. <laughs> yeah, and it's no matador, that's for sure. Yes, it's obesogenic diets induce anxiety in rodents, a systemic review and meta-analysis. Um, yeah, that was a lot of fun. If you do read it, let me know. I'd be surprised it's a bit dry. Um, yeah. <laughs> Love it. All right, Tom, thanks for coming on the show. I'm really looking forward to Better Bodies and working with you guys all on that project. Gen 10th. Gen 10th. My birthday. Well, you can, you should sign up now, actually, because spots are limited and uh, you won't be charged until it starts. But if you sign up now, it means you have guaranteed yourself a spot in the program. Mm-hmm. And where would they do that, Liz? They would do that from the link in bio or from our website. Any, all of the Flex coaches have the link to Better Bodies in their Instagram bio, but also the Flex Success page. Beautiful. And show notes. Oh, yeah, and show notes. notes. It's everywhere. Just look anywhere. Under any cushion, you will find the link to Better Bodies. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe some crumbs from last night's dinner. Yes, and that. Mm. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. <laughs>